previously on the Sick Invite Podcast. She can come say hi. Hi. You want to say hi? Hi. Do you want to say anything about autism? That's not a microphone. You are now listening to the Sick Invite Podcast with Kayla Herb and Ricky Grimes. Hello, my name is Kayla Herb. And I'm Ricky Grimes. And this is the Sick Invite Podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments. If you're small, chronic, or temporary, the Sick Invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your story. What is wrong with you? Uh, me? Yes. Uh, I was very thirsty, that's why I had just, I was running late, I had to big thing of water so i was had enough uh water intake for the in to record the intro mm. how are you today i'm a little gassy good lord <laughs> um you my, are getting too comfortable with my just expressing s- yourself on the podcast yes we should all be more comfortable talking about our bowels um my stomach's making a lot of weird noises and i'm having nope. like, a lot of cramping okay um, so, but we didn't even put like a warning. Like you can't just jump into this type of graphic talk. What about gas? You, are you gonna hold this the phone, to, the mic to your stomach? I mean, if no, it wants to speak no, to no, its no. people. I, I don't. I don't I, what did you say? If it wants to speak to its people? Yes, I'll save that for my OnlyFans. <laughs> Is that up and running yet? No. I saw some email exchanges between you and Klaus about that. I, I don't think I should have been on those. Mm, no. This show is brought to you by KaylaHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order. Do you like our show? Yes. Please tell everyone about it. Follow us, like us, share our content at the Sick Invite Podcast. We also have some merchandise available, including our shirts, mugs, stickers, and buttons and hoodies. We are now on Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get early access to our episodes and bonus content, which is mostly us just talking about movies. Please send us your story through our website. There's a form to fill out at the bottom of the page, and we will contact you with further instructions about how to come on the show. So this is very strange. I have a, I don't know how to take this. I got a, I got a message from Klaus, and it just says, no notes. It was a great episode last week, and if you continue this up, you'll have another episode this week. Just r- keep doing what you're doing. Well, did we do anything differently? No, I think it was just the same thing as always. But either this it means one, it means a couple things here could possibly be in play. One, he's being genuine. He really thought last week's episode was which was good, which it was. Two, this is all meant sarcastically. You know, I can't. You know, there's no punctuation to show that it's sarcasm. Or three, he has did not listen to the show at all last week, and he's just mailing it in. He thinks being complimentary will get him away from mailing it in. Like you know, like when you say like, oh, like oh, you look you know, to distract from the conversation. I mean. I fall victim to being buttered up. That sounds weird. Um, <laughs> if you give what do you, me, what, what do you mean? Like you're a child in the Hansel and Gretel story? What do you mean? <laughs> if you pay me lots of compliments, um, I will not be paying attention to the surroundings because I will only be thinking about myself. So that's not true at all. I've tried that many a time, and this uh, the studio is a mess. And and you've never failed to point it out to me, even though I complimented your hair and your and your shirt. And well, you I see right through. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I, I'm I. If you ever need to tell me something bad, you have to do it through like the compliment sandwich. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'll be crying for hours. Compliment sandwiches, bread compliment bread right no compliment sandwiches compliment bad critique like you did something wrong 
and then compliment again. Now, what about the double-decker compliment sandwich, which is compliment? Well, that's just going to throw me compliment, for a loop. Compliment, critique, compliment, um, offensive uh, word, compliment. I'm like, what kind of offensive words are people calling me? Well, this is what I'm just saying it's an example. Uh, no, I would not follow that guideline. But that is a thing, I'm saying. I'm not saying you have to respect it. I'm just saying it's a thing. On today's show, we have Tara Skenazi. So, Tara, what's wrong with you? Hi, thank you so much for having me on here. And I am basically diagnosed with endometriosis. And I say almost because... Um, unfortunately, it's a hard thing to get a very explicit diagnosis on. So they suspect that I have endometriosis, but there is no way, at least for right now, for me to know that for certain. Yeah, I've kind of been learning that from um, a couple of people so far who've come on and talked about endometriosis or possibly having it. Um, it seems like the only way to definitively know is through surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah. The only way to know definitively is through surgery or in the off chance that you happen to have a, like a specific flare up while they're doing a sonogram, they might be able to catch parts of it, but like there's no guarantee that it would show up in those places or that it would show up at all. So basically I was told that this is the best that we could do in terms of this is probably what's been going on. And I'm, I'm so thankful you'll learn why that I even have that much going on. Cause at least it explains the things that have been happening. But unfortunately, that's probably the closest that I'll get to a real diagnosis on it. Yeah. So w when you were talking about the, the sonograms, what can they see? Like the tissue growing in other areas? Well, let me add, okay, before you jump to that, what, I don't know, remember what endometriosis oh, is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so endometriosis is basically that my uterus lining goes into other parts of my body, becomes inflamed, and then makes me very sick. Um, so right, right. when it comes to like it being shown on... Um, sonograms, I've been told that they could potentially see like some of the scarring that might happen as a result of it, or that like sometimes like smaller, like cyst like things will form as a result of endometriosis and they'll be able to see those on the sonogram. Hmm. That makes sense. And again, sorry, I assume that everybody who listens to our show listens to every single episode. So I'm like, oh, we already covered what endometriosis is. Right. Yeah, I'm on the show and I don't remember what it is. <laughs> I don't remember there's so many different words like endometriosis is i think we talked about this endo meaning what and endometriosis. Uh, you asked me this last time and i said i don't speak latin i well, don't I was, know i was trying to figure out what it means like to see what what the words mean so like and like how did the, how did you how did you learn what endometriosis was like is that something that you even had on your radar no no i didn't so so basically when i was younger and i first started getting my period i had it like what i considered a lot worse than everybody else and that was the best way that it was described to me so i would mm -hmm. end up in like debilitating pain and i would basically be on the floor of the bathroom because the bathroom floor is cold and therefore that's where i would lay and then i would throw up and I would usually pass out after I throw up. And then after I would wake up, I would feel a lot better. So um, I was basically told for a really long time that I just needed to suck it up and that I just wasn't handling the pain very well. Um, and what I remember is thinking to myself, like, how am I supposed to have a job one day? Because it was like every single month I'd have to be out of school because I couldn't like function. I couldn't go to school. I'd be very sick. Um, and after a while, I suspected that maybe I had like PCOS because I heard about that, which is like having like cysts. 
So I thought maybe that was it. And, um, but I was told that I didn't have any of the symptoms for it. And like one of the doctors basically like refused to give me a test to even see if I had it. Cause that was the best thing that I had. Um, like the guests that I had. So the doctor was basically like, yeah, you just need to, cause at the time I had a male gynecologist and they were like, yeah, you just need to like suck up the pain. Like this is normal. And, um, like you need to like get over it. And that was unfortunately also the like perspective that my mom had on the matter. So I would get like, I remember be like my mom being upset that I didn't go into school cause I woke up that morning and I got really sick and then I passed out like I typically do. And she's like, why aren't you at school? And then I had to like walk to school <laughs> at like 1230 yeah. in the afternoon because she was like, you need to like get over it. Um, and and it, it came to a head when I was I was going to summer camp and I was going for music camp and I started having the pain. And so it was like a, a game that I would play with my body that I if the pain was coming on and I knew that it was coming on, if I could take medication within a certain time frame, I could potentially avoid the mass chaos that could ensue. But if I missed that time frame of like the pain is too bad, then no medication was going to help me get through it. And I was going to have to basically like go through the whole process of being very sick for many hours, throwing up like a lot, and then eventually trying to pass out, which is when the pain would finally subside. Mm -hmm. I went to summer camp and um, I felt like I was getting sick. We got off the bus. I was trying and I was like, I need to get to the nurse. And I realized that I couldn't get to the nurse and I fell on the floor and I distinctly remember like one of the younger kids like came up to me and was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, you have to get somebody to help me. I can't get up. And we went to, I had people help me get to the nurse's station. I threw up and I was trying to pass out and I couldn't sleep. Like the pain was so bad that I just couldn't actually get to the point of sleeping. And I just kept going through that, that cycle of being in pain and, and, and getting sick and being in pain and getting sick. Um, and then they finally called an ambulance and I had to go to the hospital um, where they basically like injected me with really high dose like pain medication for me to finally get the sleep and sleep it off. Because I was like the, basically like I would pass out from the amount of pain that I was in and I, I would just wait until the pain subsided enough for me to finally like regain consciousness. And that was what I considered a normal month. <laughs> well, I was going to ask when you yeah. say when, you, when you're saying passing out, what do you what do you mean? Like, are you mean like you're actually blacking out or do you mean like you're just basically your body's shutting down? And yeah you're, you're sleeping but you're just right yeah like i would like i would sleep like i would just start blacking out like i couldn't see anything and then i would just like try to relax and try to like rest as much as i could and then i would uh -huh. wake wake up in a couple of hours when the pain was mo mostly subsided so it was mostly so like I... my body like waiting <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of um, I'm curious if you have the same pain um, reaction that I have. So I, I I never really thought to call it passing out, but I would get like tunnel vision when it was really, really. Yeah. And this was especially when I had because I would my Crohn's would flare with my period. Mm -hmm. So it was always hard to tell what. And I also had just a really heavy flow. Um, so but I would get like tunnel vision and I'd be like sweaty and weak and. I, I guess you're kind of right. I would I wouldn't say because when I hear pass out, I think of like oh, I'm in like a right, faint. right. <laughs> yeah, I'm not um, like oh, dainty me. Um, it's more like it's this. It's like what you're saying. Like I'd get tunnel vision. I'd start sweating. I would. I don't know if I would have a fever or not, but I would be like sweating a lot, and then yeah. I would kind of just like doze off into like I don't know into the oblivion until I was like able to regain consciousness and like kind of come back. And the the right. thing is, is that for a lot of the times, like 
it basically it would be like a six to eight hour ordeal, but then I would feel kind of okay after that. Like the rest, of, I'm very blessed, unfortunately, that um, I didn't experience, I wouldn't experience like that amount of pain on all, like every day of it. It was just really the first day or maybe the first two days. Um, but yeah. That's just an interesting way to, to phrase it, like to try and make yourself pass out. Like I've never actually heard, I didn't, it's such a uh, an interesting way to phrase it because I, I don't think I've ever heard it in that context with like it, you know other than just like some sort of like more I guess more of like a harmful side of time you know what I'm saying like you know, it's like I yeah I'm thinking it of it like right now just with my Mac like I'm like I need to reboot <laughs> yeah <laughs> I need to yeah. shut down I feel like that's wake me. Back. <laughs> I I think that's how that's funny you say that I think yeah. that's how I view myself where like because I get like that in like my day to day life like even like when I would drink I don't really do that too much now but like if I would drink and I would get like too intoxicated I'd be like all right you've lost your being awake privileges it's officially time for you to go to sleep. And that's how I like view myself. So I think that's a testament to but me being analytical like, towards myself. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you would have these, like, when you would pass out in these, would you have dreams or anything? Or would it just be, no. Do you remember? No, Cause yeah. Because like, a blackout, your body is still kind of going, but your brain kind of shuts off. But in this case, you're basically just doing like a full reset. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something that was, I think, opposite than um, some of your other guests that I've heard have had it because I obviously listened to them. Um, <laughs> like my flow was actually really light. So and it was actually like if my flow was really light, then that meant I was going to have more pain compared to if I had a heavier flow. So, oh, so yeah, which is like, yeah, which so it, it's interesting how the same thing can affect one person versus another person. And I don't mm -hmm. know if that's like, that may also have to do with like, maybe there's like clotting involved. And that's why like, then the pain is worse. I, these are only hypotheses that I've been able to come up with for myself that I have absolutely no scientific yeah. backing for. So the little bit of science that I know about this, so the amount you bleed it just depends on how thick your uterus lining is. Right. So I have like essentially no uterus lining because I've been on birth control like every single day, have not had a period in years. So the last time I had an ultrasound, they were like, oh, you have like a very, very thin uh, uterus lining. But if I forget to take my pill, the next morning I wake up with the most intense cramps, mm. but I'll like hardly spot because there's like nothing there. So I don't know if it has much to do with the flow as it does with like your uterus just like tr contracting stuff. Yeah, I, I feel like, really... yeah, my joke is that because I'm shorter that it just expands up into my like, <laughs> like into, <laughs> up into my chest and then that's why I'm in so much pain. But yeah, so that was, so I went on birth control because I was in college and because I wasn't on birth control before that because I didn't have a lot of trust, again, as you can imagine, with the, the gynecologist that I had when I was in high school. So the second that I went to college, I started finding myself on birth control. And that was honestly like, let's talk about really bad experiences. I, um, I felt very out of control with my emotions the first time that I tried birth control um, because there was like there's no process of like vetting these things and what the symptoms of one is going to be versus the other. And as mm -hmm. I mentioned to Kayla, I cannot swallow pills. So I found out there was one birth control that was chewable and I was like, that's the one that's for me. Thank you for your time. I choose this one. And they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, it's it's fine. It's all like the same stuff, right? And um, I basically remember um, like curling up in like my college bathroom, crying and feeling scared and, and not knowing why I felt that way. Like it, it was like very like this very outer body experience that I knew that I was experiencing emotions that I just did not actually know like why I was having those emotions. I think that's also why I'm I think I'm very analytical of my own body because I had to learn from that experience to like ask myself questions of like, 
what are you what's happening why are you reacting this way what could have caused you to react this way like is there like and be able to almost like separate myself from what my body was reacting to and doing mm-hmm. I feel like they use uh, birth control as like a cure-all for no matter what you're going through and I was really lucky birth control kind of fixed everything for me right away it took a couple different types to just regulate my spotting but a lot of people just cannot be on birth control for that reason or you know blood clotting disorders or there's a whole bunch of things that could prevent people from being on it so was birth control are you like totally is it not for you really well the birth control pill I should say right so that pill so I I stayed on that pill because I just again was just told that it was normal and for me to work on it. So I stayed on that pill while I w- while I stayed at that school. And then when I transferred and I was on different health insurance, I was kind of like forced into switching it. And at this point, I'm basically walking around crazy, depressed, anxiety, like anxious all the time. And I had gained 15 pounds. So I was really doing really well on that pill. Um, and I, I had to switch. And I was like not excited because I was like, this is going to go even worse. But actually, like the, the other pill that I had ended up working really well for me. Um, and it helped my pain a lot. And, um, and I didn't have as many like symptoms, or at least I felt like I was able to like manage the mental health aspect of my symptoms a lot, like a lot easier. And I stayed on that pill until, um, I went to, when I started graduate school, I, so I just, I was never a fan of, of the birth control pill for many reasons. Um, and at the time I was very into like my environmentalism and trying to be as zero waste as I could. And I, I didn't want to be like producing all of this trash just from having the pills because they have to wrap them in like four different mm-hmm. types of plastic and then they're wrapped in Give plastic. Give a novel it, of warnings. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just like, I just don't, I just didn't want it. And I was like, well, you know, you could have hormonal IUD. So why don't I just do that instead? I, it was a really bad decision that I had made for myself because, so what I've learned is that although some IUDs have, um, have, hormones in them they don't have estrogen in them which like hormonal birth control does it's only progesterone and I need or my suspect I suspect that I need the estrogen for like my mental health and also I when I was younger and I'm trying to think of how to phrase this my brother um ended up having like hormonal deficiencies when he was younger and they like treated him for it so which is why my brother is like six two but because I'm a female it was you know not in the 90s when I was born those types of things weren't necessarily caught on and especially because I'm a female it's just like acceptable that I'm on the shorter end but there's like other things about me like I've always had like chin hairs growing and stuff like that that would I would think leads me to believe that I have some other type of hormonal imbalance that doesn't see I don't know if it would even be worth it at this point for me to like really get that testing but my point being is that for me to then jump from my regular birth control that had estrogen that I think was helping me in a lot of other ways besides just um you know like even the pain and and my mental health um for me to jump away from that um like really did a decline in my mental health and I ended up like almost having to be hospitalized because of how bad my mental health got when I tried to change the pill um, from the pill to the IUD, let alone the crippling pain that I was in from getting the IUD inserted. Um, I had to be wheelchaired out 
of the hospital and I when my mom brought me home and my dad was just yelling at me because again this is just how things were handled of like well why did you do this to yourself like okay dad thank you this is so helpful thank you for that and I remember my mom being like do you want to call Rob who's my partner and like at this point we've been dating for years and he's seen me in almost every single state I was like absolutely not I do not want him here right now I cannot function (laughs) or do anything so again it was like it was it was basically like the pain from the IUD was basically like one of my like worst um, periods where like I needed to just try to like medicate as much as I could and try to sleep on just allow my body to black out until the pain would subside. So um, I got that removed and then I went back on the birth control and I, I actually decided recently to come off of the birth control again, which I know you might be like listening to this and are like, why would you, why you finally found something that relatively worked, stop changing it up. Um, but I just kind of got called again to like trying to, trying to weed myself off of it. Um, and I'm just kind of trying to learn to, especially like now that I'm in the space of trying to heal more things, quote unquote, more naturally, I'm just giving my body the opportunity to see what it does. Um, and like my mentality is like worst case scenario, I just go back on the birth control again, but that's kind of the space that I'm in with that. And like your body's not the same body that it was when you were a teenager. And then I actually saw something today that was like, yeah, birth control can, can, you know, cover a lot of these symptoms, but it's not going to fix the issue. So like you're saying, like when you come off of it, it it is interesting to see what's going to come of it and to try and heal that and make that part of you uh, cured, I guess, even if there's not a cure for it, but doing what your body needs rather than... Uh, masking it with a pill which either options are fine it's totally up to the individual right yeah and like when I started seeing my like newer gynecologist before I moved um I had one that I really like clicked with and liked and she was like oh yeah when I was telling her about like my experiences with everything she's like oh yeah that's endometriosis and I was like that what the heck is that going back to the original question of how (laughs) did you even know about this um it was because it was finally like suggested to me and when I looked it up it like it fit everything that I was experiencing and I was like oh this is probably what I have and she she told me that um it was probably what I was experiencing however she couldn't you know really formally give me a diagnosis but that would explain a lot and basically the um like way to mitigate it is by taking the birth control Mm -hmm. now do you think that your um, mental health experiences that you had talked about do you think that your fluctuating hormones cause those or just exacerbated already existing anxiety or depression that you may have had yeah so i I've had depression my entire life. Like I have journal entries of me being five years old and talking about how I felt like I shouldn't exist. So I like, that's just something that I've had my entire life. I think I've also had anxiety, but I don't think that I was able to identify anxiety as easily because although I feel like depression, like while we were even in high school was more talked about, like we knew what depression was. I didn't necessarily know what anxiety was. Um, But like in hindsight, there's certain things that I did that would lead me to be like, oh yeah, I probably had anxiety, but I didn't know that I had anxiety until college. So um, I would say that it was, it, it might be, it's definitely a combination of both for sure. Um, but I, de- and I definitely think that, I definitely think that there's something to be said about like a chemical imbalance in your brain, like causing um, depression and anxiety. So I think that I'm predisposed to those things already. And then I think once I went into puberty and with the other hormonal problems that I probably have, I think it just creates a really lovely conglomerate of my head of interesting things happening. Yeah. Now, I know that you talked about um, your parents telling you to kind of like suck it up with your 
uh, physical issues, were they kind of the same mentally? Um, the mental things were just not really spoken about in my household. Um, and if there's anything that I've learned is like, as I've gotten older, that I'm more comfortable talking about these things now. Um, it's that like, I am in my family, like the glue, um, and I'm seen as the stable one and seen as the person that's like handling really stressful situations in my family. I think it's kind of like unthinkable that anything is like wrong with quote unquote, like wrong with me in that area. And it kind of gets like thrown out as a possibility. Cause like I, I even brought it up to my dad recently. I was like, yeah, like, you know how, like I have depression. He's like, no, you don't. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. I'm my cured. Mistake. I'm right. My bad. <laughs> I didn't know that. Cool. So, um, yeah, I think other people in my family have more room for, um, like voicing their their concerns in that area but for me specifically uh no not a lot of support there definitely not a lot of understanding there um I I mean I remember my mom being concerned about some things that she had seen that I had written when I was in high school that I threw away and that she found in the trash because why was she going through my trash we're still unsure of that (laughs) um (laughs) to be to be disclaimed but I yeah there's definitely like certain things that that happened that like there, there had to be some level of awareness going on, but I don't think that they really like accepted it as like a possibility. And it was definitely nothing that I spoke about. I went to, um, when I was in high school, I started seeing like one of the counselors like at the school and then, but it, and it, now that I'm an adult, I can acknowledge like what, like why it was problematic because I was just in the state of like not trusting anybody with my problems. So I think as a result of that, I wasn't really being upfront with the severity of what it is that I was experiencing. And therefore I wasn't taken seriously. Whereas like now when I, when I know I'm seeing a mental health professional, I know to like be very upfront about what it is that I'm experiencing so that they really understand the situation. Cause how could they, if I don't tell them, but in mm-hmm. my like, you know, obnoxious teenage brain, I was like, they'll figure it out if they really want to know me, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so I, I, I had, you know, I were, I started working on some things then, but not really. And then that counselor left and nobody told me our high oh, school boy. is a mess. Um, anyway, so yeah, I was kind of forgotten about and like thrown out, I guess. And they were like, yeah, we don't have room for you and your problems don't seem so bad. So that was that. And then when I was in, it was only after I burnt out in college that I started seeing a counselor, um, like on an ongoing really, like as an ongoing thing. And it was the most life-changing thing that's ever happened to me because it vastly improved my life, my relationship with myself, my relationship with, with my parents and with my family. Um, and yeah, like it. I'm not going to sit here and be like, I am cured. I am not. Um, that's not how those things work. But I'm thankfully in, um, you know, a position where I'm able to understand myself better. And that's kind of the the work that I do now is just helping people kind of understand themselves better. So it's a beautiful cycle. Where mm-hmm. does the, uh, like when you were mentioning the kind of analysis and research you were doing on your own about some of the physical issues that you were having and trying to do research to figure that stuff out or kind of keep track of that where does that kind of lie in your uh mental health space is that something that you do and you think is a 
way to be helpful with your mental health or do you think that's an issue with your mental health? Because I've seen – and we've talked to people on the show where it's it's both ways where a person be kind of becomes obsessive about certain things in their body and it becomes an issue. But then other people, you know, speaking kind of maybe a little bit to Kayla here, Kayla gets a little bit of like – and I'm speaking for you here, but you can correct me if I'm wrong – Kind of a little bit like an, of an empowerment from knowledge and 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 trying to figure things out. So I, I, I we've seen it gone both ways. Is it is it a particular way for you, or have you not really looked at that at all? Yeah. So I definitely haven't. I haven't really thought about it that way. But I think that for me, I definitely am one of those people that I find power in knowledge. I wish that there was just more credible sources when it comes to finding out like your medical issues, or there was a way to like better search things because. Right. It can become a very stressful situation when you're trying to empower yourself by trying to figure out what's wrong and then you come across that like you're dying, right? And right, then right. now now you're stressed out and now you don't know if you're dying and now you don't know who to talk to about the fact that you may or may not be dying and you don't want to seem crazy and like then, then the anxiety starts kind of like rolling down the hill. But I think that like in general, it's helpful for me to, especially if I could come to a place where the diagnosis is not that I am literally dying, um, mm-hmm. for me to like understand, I think like, I mean, I, I ended up getting a degree in STEM and I just, as we as we were discussing, I have a very analytical mind. So I like data and I like mm-hmm. knowing what's happening because then I, I am able to be like, okay, so these are the symptoms that I'm exhibiting. I'm not exhibiting these symptoms. How are these symptoms showing up for me? Is there anything related to these symptoms that I could be doing to mitigate those specific symptoms, right? Like then you're able to empower yourself by continuing that education, but it right. takes... I think that the thing when it comes to education is you first need a proper diagnosis. And when it comes to the diagnosis aspect of online research, that is very hard to do on your own without a licensed professional. Mm-hmm. And to add to what you were saying, just to access to credible sources, I actually talked about that today in school of the problem with this kind of research is like, who who is this for at the end of the day? Like the kind of research that I'm doing where like I'm not trying to find cures. I'm not studying cells. I'm getting gathering reports from people like you who are willing to tell me their experience. And what good is this data if it's not available for the public to see? For And these things are only available on like college databases. Why? Right. <laughs> so I, I think that you're right with that, that there are thousands probably hundreds of thousands of essays written about people with endometriosis who could tell you things that you will never find on webmd that could help you with your life but the average person doesn't have access to that data um, or know how to find that kind of data know what kind of books to read and understanding if it's credible or not um so that's a that's a major issue that i really didn't think about until today so thank you for bringing that up yeah and there's there's also something to be said about like testimony versus research and when i was specifically when i was trying to figure out what was going on when i had the iud because i was like in theory i was like even though i was i ended up dropping out of grad school inevitably and i I wasn't very satisfied academically i was like the happiest that at, at that point in my life i had ever been i had like my own space i was working out very often i felt good like physically in my body and i was doing a lot of things that i was really passionate about And yet I couldn't get out of bed. And I was like, there's something wrong. And it was only actually from my father that he was like, this reminds me of what you were like before you were on birth control in high school. And that's what made it click for me that I was like, I need to look up like what's happening. And there was a lot of people talking about how when they had the IUD that it ended up making them very depressed for one reason or another. And when after I got it removed and I, I spoke back with my gynecologist, she was like, you know, I have to tell you, I haven't seen that in any of the research that I've read. And it's like, well, I read it on all the forums that I was on. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, one one thing we always, we've noticed with people that are discussing 
issues is that another important thing is just like somebody can just explain something better. So if you're like if you have a certain feeling going on in your body, but you can't place it and then you may read something and be like, oh, that's it. Like, that's how right. I'm feeling. like some some people are just better with adjectives and, and and just describing a feeling that you may have. And some people. So by using those descriptive words and those descriptive scenarios, you're able to kind of say, oh, maybe this is what I'm dealing with. Maybe this is the issue, which you can't really pull from like you're, you guys are saying, like with the with just data. Or just numbers or something like that. Like things like that, like the warning will say may cause back pain. Okay, like what part of my back? My back is huge. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Lower back. Like there, there's so many. Like please, just a little bit more detail. But they, I guess they can't really get too specific. I don't know why. Yeah, and sometimes sometimes it's really hard to like what you're saying. Like sometimes it's really hard to articulate like what it is that you're experiencing. Like some the first question that everybody asks or like every doctor asks when I tell them about the pain that I'm experiencing is, is it a sharp or a throbbing pain? Right. And it's like, I don't know. It's definitely, <laughs> it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't seem like either. <laughs> what is that? You know? So, I mean, I, I haven't necessarily found um, like something that like really articulates that, but I think that if I were to like, that would be great because that isn't something that I've been able to otherwise yeah. articulate because it's like, well, it doesn't, it's not like a stat. It's not like a one it's not like when you prick your finger and you it's very sensationalized in one area, but it also doesn't it doesn't feel like a throbbing like if you bang your elbow on something. It's just it's mm-hmm. some it's something completely else. I've seen a pain chart um, recently. I'm I have to find it and share it with your episode now. So <laughs> mental note for me to do that. It is um, somebody created it with a visual and a, a description on it of wide ranges of different types of pain. They're like, is it fiery? Is it burning? Is it pins and needles? Does it feel like bugs crawling? Is it throbbing? Is it stabbing? Is it pinching? There's so many different types and like the the list went on. And even with that, the it had like 10 different visuals just from the cover photo. And I was like, I still like, I've had different ones. I'm like, okay, it's a combination of this one and this one. And like, if they had that on like the doctor's wall, that would have helped me figure things out so much faster. Yeah. Like you were saying, just learning how to articulate it. Um, but I think sometimes the doctors don't know how to receive the information either, especially with whatever assumption they make from you when you walk in the door as a young woman with pelvic pain. They're like, oh, she's got cramps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. That, yeah. It's like one of those things like in hindsight where like now I could look back now that I, I have a or a more close diagnosis, like how much bypassing happened by everyone around me that like that was telling me that I was um, you know, like overreacting and that, and some people still in my family still feel that way, that it's like, oh, you just have a really low tolerance to pain. And it's like, or I'm just in a lot of, I'm in that much pain. And what, like, who, who is to say, like, why does it matter? Just cause you can't see that physically my arm is broken. It's like the same thing with mental health, right? Like you can't mm-hmm. see it. And therefore people like underestimate, um, like what it is that you're actually experiencing and how that's actually impacting you. Mm-hmm. And even the tolerance, like, even if you do have a low tolerance for pain, that's still the worst pain that you have ever felt in your life. Right. And it should be taken seriously. And I, I've done the opposite where I have um, didn't realize how much pain I was in until I wasn't in pain anymore. And I'm like, mm. why did I put myself through this? Why am I like this? But like you were saying, your dad pointing it out or saying how you were prior to birth control, do you get annoyed when people offer that information to you or do you appreciate it or both? 
Um, I think it depends. I think it's the context of the comment, right? And the concern. Um, there isn't a lot of people at this point in my life that have known me for that long to be able to make such comments. Um, so I knew that he was coming from a good place with it. And he was genuinely like, no, I think that this has to do with like, you know, because he knew that I had the IUD and everything. So he, I think he was coming from a really good place where it's like, yeah, I think that this is like hormonal based. Um, I think that if like I'm just having a mental breakdown that day and like my partner came up to me and was like, yeah, do you think that it's because like you might be getting your period soon? I'd probably like whack him upside the head because it's like you don't know. <laughs> and like, why would you say that? And it's like I it doesn't really matter what time of the month it is. Like I could have these, you know, mental flare ups at any time. Um, and with that said, like while I'm navigating, trying to learn about my life outside of hormonal birth control, um, like I am very sensitive to my mental health and um, like my specifically like my stress levels and my sleep has a really large impact on my physical well-being, both from having an endometriosis flare up as well as when I burnt out in college, I started getting stress migraines. Um, so I get migraines when I'm sleep deprived and when I can't sleep well and I'm very stressed out from my life. So mm-hmm. it's like, my whole life is like me just trying to like mellow out so that this way I can live a functional life. But I'm very mm-hmm. sensitive to stress at this point. Yeah. The, the, well, the migraines before when she said we we're talking about pills, she was trying to help me figure out what pill I should be on or ask for uh, with the neurologist, which is when I found, cause I was asking for pills that well treatments that aren't pills because my stomach is sensitive and she's like well funny enough (laughs) i I cannot swallow them yeah um so thank you for that too that was really helpful information um do you can i ask you before you say something yes um what is the um i'm asking you guys like if if you like maybe you have an answer in terms of like pain tolerance like this person has a high tolerance for pain is that actually a thing like what does that actually even mean good question do you know what I'm saying? Who like, are you asking, me or Tara? Uh, whoever has the answer, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe it's, maybe so, this is something just to we could look into later. But well, like you know, that is an expression that somebody has a high tolerance for pain. So tolerance. But as you're saying, like the, you know, there's there's female, uh, there's people that have uh, menstrual pain, right? But it's like if you have bad menstrual pain or you have had any pain, right? It's like, well, what what is it? If you have a low tolerance for pain and this person has a high tolerance for pain, but they're still feeling the same amount of pain, what's the difference? So tolerance is very subjective because like one person, they could say, oh, I have a very high pain tolerance. Um, Like I have a very high pain tolerance for abdominal pain. I can go to work. I can go to school. I can figure it all out. But if I have a head cold and a little headache, I I can't navigate through my day. So I have a very low tolerance for that kind of thing. So it's I think some people just are forced to power through and they just kind of get used to it. and that's kind of how the tolerance builds. But I don't think it's like, um, I, I think it's different than like an alcohol tolerance <laughs> or like a. But uh, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's something that you just build up. It's your body just becomes accustomed to a certain thing. Like a muscle memory. It, like yeah, t- maybe there's like a study out there where they measured pain tolerance compared to like shocks or something. You could look well, up my that study. Yeah. <laughs> my, yeah. my thought is that just when you guys were discussing it, it's just like it's less about what you're able to tolerate and more what you're just able to do. So like if you have to go to work and you can't take off work unless you, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really that does that person have a higher tolerance for pain or does that person just have less options you know i think a lot of it comes down to options especially people who don't have um access 
to the help uh, for financial or whatever reasons it might be. But some people really don't have the luxury to stay home and heal. So they kind of learn to power through and it becomes like a survivalist thing. And then sometimes they just break down. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Tara it's not was good. Just, Tara, <laughs> you were just telling the story before about you being in at summer camp. And how old were you at that story when you when that happened to you? I was 15. 15. So like and you had that where you were powering through probably a, a tremendous pain that somebody in the same situation. I mean, would they have done the same thing? Would they not have done the same thing? It seemed like maybe you had some understanding of what was happening more than maybe somebody who was just getting them for the first time. So I don't know. It's just interesting when when you talk about like a tolerance for pain. Is it is it more just about a situation? And men, some people that have these types of chronic illnesses, kind of like what you guys are talking about, are just having to deal with it more often so it's just you have no choice but to kind of just to per- persevere and pursue rather it doesn't you know it's does, uh, it, not a matter of just you know want it's just a matter of just need I guess yeah I it's know. very it's very true and something that I do want to mention is like with my decision to come off of hormonal birth control that was led because I'm working for myself now versus having to work in a corporate office so I know that if I do need a day a month you know a day, a month, not like months at a time um, to take right, off right. for myself. <laughs> I still have to work at some point. But like I can make that flexibility for myself. Whereas like I wouldn't, I can't do that really like, I'm not, or I'm not really willing to sacrifice the small amount of sick days I have to deal with something that's naturally occurring once a month if I know that I already, if I have a tried and true alternative to not have that experience. But that doesn't mean that that's actually the best long-term solution for me, right? Like we're talking about um, at this point being able to actually figure out like what's happening and not necessarily mask my symptoms by the pill so I could kind of get more clear on on what's happening. I have now the luxury to be able to do that, but that's a huge privilege, a huge, huge, huge privilege that unfortunately a lot of people don't have. Well, that was going to be my next question. In addition to the freedom and flexibility of your career, um, did your health experience influence your career itself? Because I, I don't know how to explain it, so I'll let you do that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So so the work that I do, I it's always really hard to explain at this point, but I teach intuition development and shadow work. So intuition development meaning I help people kind of just tap into their best self, their highest self. Um, or some sort of like larger being, whether that's source, spirit, creator, however it is that you identify that for yourself. Um, and shadow work is just anything that we repress or ignore in ourselves. And the that work really came from a combination of my mental health, but really my mental health in relation to the grief that I had experienced when my mom passed away a couple of years ago. I got diagnosed with PTSD. And a lot of things kind of happened from that experience for myself. Like I was already like in the wellness community. I was already doing a lot of things that I think would be considered spiritual. And I was in the darkest moments of my life. I had literally no will to live because when something like that happens, you don't, you start questioning like the meaning of life. Like, why are we even here? What happens after we die? Like these really big questions that I was, I was you know, starting to ask for myself. And I turned to the community that claims that they have all the answers. And I was like, why, like, what do I do from here? And it was basically met with like, it'll get better with time. Just like think happy thoughts and think about what you can learn from the situation. I was like depressed and I felt horrible. Um, and I obviously put myself back in therapy and began to, to work on 
like what it was that I was experiencing and kind of unraveling that for myself. And then I was able to, through that work, tap into like my intuitive gifts um, and, and deepen my relationship with myself in that way. And yeah, it was really through like my, my depression. And I, when my mom passed away, my, my corporate job gave me three days of the grievance. Jeez. I had three days off to grieve my dead mom. And it was, it was in that moment that I was like, I'm never putting myself through this situation ever again, because it took me so much longer to heal than would have been like, I think there could have been an alternative life where it wouldn't take me as long to get to a sense of okayness if I wasn't forced into dealing with, um, you know, like the mundane of day-to-day life while I'm still trying to process these heavy things. And then I'm not doing anything particularly well, right? Like I'm being forced to show up to a job when I can't really show up to that job. And I can't really show up for my life because I'm too exhausted to try to process what's happening in my life. And my mental health deteriorated to a point where, you know, I, I had to reach out for help again. And I, I retook on in that time a lot of behaviors that I thought I had kicked from high school. Like, um, yeah, just, just really bad behaviors when it came to how I treated myself in a way that I thought that I had moved on from. And that was one of the reasons that I got into the work that I did was A, to help people feel more okay with their more uncomfortable emotions. And in terms of why I have my own business, why not just get like a degree in psychology? Um, for me, it was about having that freedom from a system that perpetrates not allowing us to have those emotions. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so happy you talked about that because I think that uh, people don't take grief as seriously um, as an emotion as it is. And so many people be like, oh, well, death is a part of life, which yes, but... <laughs> that's not helping me right now. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. It's like these larger, it's one of those things where as, as more time passes, I'm better able to understand the bigger picture of it. But we're talking about now like three years down the line. And I think that we need to, in our society, just create more space for anything that is outside of the norm, whether that's a mental, whether that's mental health, or whether that's, you know, something that is physical, or whether that's ourselves and what it is that we're experiencing. And I think grief is a really big example of that, because when you're sitting in that emotion, it's the same thing when I feel really depressed, like nobody knows what to do with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody's like, I'm here for you. But nobody really like knows what that even means. And nobody knows what to say. And I remember when I was even trying to navigate grief, everybody was, I remember being frustrated, because everybody was like, nobody wants to tell me how like what to do but I wish that somebody would like I wish that somebody would tell me how I can move from one place to another because I don't want to sit here like I don't want to be in this place and the analogy that I wrote one time was that it felt like I was walking beside people one day and I just fell into a hole and nobody noticed and I'm just screaming trying to get out of this hole that I'm in but nobody can understand what it is and like maybe they're trying to now talk to me to get out of the well but because they're not in the well with me they don't understand what I what things I have to work with like what what tools I have to try to get myself out um and I think that at the end of the day I can now acknowledge that like the tools that I had is myself and there there is nothing else right besides us that's in that space and it's up to us to take ourselves out of it but because we're not taught um, you know, like how to actually deal with our emotions from a place of that's healthy and a way that feels good for us. Um, like I didn't know how to handle grief because I didn't know how to handle other, even more mild emotions that I would experience. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're really right there. We don't, 
it, people love to say just power through and like you said learn the lesson with everything whether it's a loss or a heartbreak or anything that you're going through um people don't know how to react we as humans just don't put enough time to try and understand those emotions and like you said just like sit in the discomfort and just try and let yourself feel it and that's so some people that's just not an option they just cannot physically do it um but it's certainly a lesson i don't know how to do yet and one day i'll have to address it but um i'm really happy you brought that up because i think a lot of people get un obviously they get uncomfortable with grief but not only when they're experiencing it but when somebody they love experiences it so it's okay to acknowledge i don't know how to help you but I want to I yeah. want to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, grief is like a whole a whole thing that I mean, I I I wish upon no one truly. Um but for me it was it was more complicated because I had to deal with the PTSD diagnosis that came out of even going through what it is that I did specifically. Um and that was really hard because I I felt once again that I was out of control of my own body and I didn't even know I did not know that I had PTSD because of course, when we think about PTSD, we think about like people that went to war or, mm -hmm. um, and that sort of thing. And it was, you know, through working with my therapist where I would explain what it was that I was going through. I'm like, I just, I keep having, I, I call them anxiety attacks. I'm like, I'm having really bad anxiety attacks. And she's like, no, you're not having anxiety attacks. You're having panic attacks. And that's because you have PTSD. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't think, of it. and she's like, well, what did you think PTSD was? And I was like, I don't know, kind of like you're here, but you're there. And she's like, and what are you experiencing? And I'm like, <laughs> touche. I guess that makes a lot more sense now. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think with PTSD, people think fireworks on the 4th of July, which, yes, right. that, that is part of it. But, um, you know, the trauma does not have a size to it. it. You don't have to experience what in textbooks would call a traumatic event it's just all about how you are perceiving the event as traumatic to you even if or traumatic to somebody else you could have ptsd from trauma that happened to a family member even if it didn't happen to you directly and you know i i was diagnosed with ptsd not too long ago also just from my medical gaslighting experience and i never thought that that would be considered trauma but like of course it is <laughs> I have a whole podcast because of my trauma. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it amazing, though, how, like, we're able to transform? I think that was that was one of my big resistance points, and maybe you could relate to this, too, that I felt like I couldn't learn anything from it because I didn't – like, I didn't want to make anything out of it because I didn't want there to be anything good that came out of it. Like, I wanted it to be a thing where I was uh. like, it's okay that nothing good has come out of this because I needed that to be okay. And I think that that's important, too. But I also think that it's – it's cool and it's wonderful that we are able to take the things that were really harmful to us and, and create something that ends up helping other people, whether it's this podcast or, or the work that I do for the things that I went through, too. So I just wanted to celebrate that for a second because that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's cool that we both get to do this, but there's also no pressure to anybody who's listening yeah. to do anything outstanding. Well, <laughs> I, think, well, I think that the idea that it has to be something like when you say good, it means like that it's like valuable, but it could just be good in the sense that it's like it makes you happy, which I think is. We're good in a sense of you got out of bed today. Yeah, you showered. and you survived, well, that's, that's and like right. you're here yeah. on this planet. Like but, that is that's what amazing. I mean. Like, th like it doesn't have to be. You know, good, something good is is okay, as long as you know it doesn't have to be something that's like yeah. no value right. or anything along those lines. Yeah, and like like you were saying with shadow work, as long as you're not 
running away from these kind of things or trying to suppress memories you just have to recognize them and like you've been saying learn to feel them and I'm happy that you're doing this work and I read everything that you say and I listen to all your videos that you put on your stories and I learn from them too <laughs> so I hope everybody who's listening today is going to follow your account as well because it's really great material just on I don't I don't want to call it mental health because it's more than that it's just like your being yeah <laughs> humanness living. we love humanness yes living <laughs> yeah living so we definitely we covered so and see you were nervous about things that you were going to talk about we covered so many things today <laughs> i know we just we just rabbit hole i feel have you had anybody come on the podcast that's like what's wrong with you and they're like a lot i mean i haven't i haven't seen an episode where somebody said that but i was thinking about it oh every yes. time and, and every time <laughs> Because everybody does. That's the, that's right? Like a lot, a lot of things are wrong with me. Kayla, wondered, Kayla thinks we're going to run out of guests. I was like, we're never going to run out of guests. There's, there's <laughs> a, everyone has something wrong with them that they can discuss, no matter yeah. how big or small. So, And that's why I keep reminding people, and I, I told this joke a while ago, but my mom was like, what kind of high school did you go to? I'm like, mom, literally everybody has something wrong with them and that's we, and we I all will, need to talk about it i will say that that's something like a cool experience too especially because a lot of the people that on are on the podcast at least so far are people from high school is like how i don't know it's it's a cool experience to see how like we were all in this thing that we were all kind of experiencing these things but we didn't necessarily know that about each other right mm -hmm. and what what a world we would live in if we were actually aware of of the things that we were experiencing and how like we maybe would have uh like connected deep like more deeply i think with each other if we were able to like be more open about those things instead of all all of us simultaneously like hiding all these things about us because all of us think that it's abnormal i mean that's very high school right it's like all of us uh, have yeah to try to fit <laughs> in and try to be suffering cool. suffering silently um but no literally everybody had Everybody that I've ever met has experienced some sort of trauma. Um, and not to say that that's normal, but it kind of is. And uh, I'm happy that we have so many people that are willing to tell us their story, to normalize addressing it. And everything that you have said today and everything that you stand for is goes hand in hand to why we created this show. So thank you for enlightening us on so many things today. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. Sick and bite, guys. Seriously. Yeah. This was great. Yay.